guys, welcome to Wiki Say What? I'm Greta and I have Grant and Jonas with me and we're about to do part two of our Wikipedia article titled The Death of Brian Wells. Grant, can you give us a quick overview of what we learned in part one? Yes. So basically all we know at this point, there's a guy named Brian Wells. He was a pizza delivery driver. Um... He was involved in a bank robbery conspiracy that ended in his death with a color bomb explosion. And there have been some other names thrown out, like Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Kenneth Barnes, that we don't really know much about yet, but we will find out soon. And CNN also described it as one of the most bizarre, or complicated and bizarre crimes in the annals of the FBI. I'm so excited. All right, we're going to learn about who these people are and why these names matter. So, again, Brian Wells, who this article is technically about, um, was born in Pennsylvania. He was a pizza delivery driver. He dropped out of high school and began working as a mechanic, um, then taking his job as pizza delivery driver. He was part of a bank robbery. His parents said that he had nothing to do with it. Allegedly part of a bank robbery. Yeah, we're not really sure what this bank robbery is yet, but I promise you we're going to find out. So, let's enter this portion called The Conspirators. This is in our article. At Kenneth Barnes' home, he, Marjorie Deal Armstrong, and William Rothstein discussed ways they could make money. Marjorie suggested that Kenneth kill her father, Harold, so she could receive an inheritance. I love how she, it just casually yeah, puts that just in there. Like, we could kill my dad. Yeah. Like, Get some money. That's inheritance. simple. Simple. We quick. could work, but no. Effective. Effective. It's yep. quick. So... Kenneth told her that he was willing to do this for $200,000, which is now equivalent to $278,000. Very pertinent. Just like for the right, Just yeah. so you know. Inflation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the collar bomb bank robbery plot was hatched to obtain enough money to pay Kenneth to kill Marjorie's father. In return for a reduced sentence, Kenneth later told investigators that Marjorie was the mastermind of the crime and that she wanted the money to pay Kenneth to kill her father, whom she believed was wasting her inheritance. Marjorie, Kenneth, and Bill Rothstein seem to have had issues with compulsive hoarding. I don't really think that has anything to do with the article, but we it's, did see, it's in the article. We so. did see their house, yeah. and it was, it they was, were hoarders. It was a mess, <laughs> yeah. I think it I think it speaks to the kind of people they were. They were obsessive and wanted everything that they could get. It's yeah. true. And again, like she wanted to kill her father because she thought he was wasting the inheritance and she wanted it. So maybe they wanted to get more stuff. I don't know. Yeah, so um, quick play by play. Uh they wanted money. Marjorie said, Let's kill my dad to do it. <laughs> Kenneth said, You can hire me as the assassin and she said, Great, let's make a bank robbery yeah. so we can fund the assassination of my father. Casual, casual. <laughs> Pennsylvania. This is happening, might I add, in like, what was this, 2006? 2003. Not that long ago, which I guess it was, but... I mean, at this point, 17, yeah, years. 17, 17 years. years. Yeah. How old are you? Uh, I'm 21. So, you were four. four. That yeah. was when I moved to Nebraska. Whoa. Fun fact, <laughs> Grant and I lived in the same city in Texas when Great. we were babies. Yep, babies, and now Crazy. here we are in Virginia. Y'all hey. both could have had a southern accent. But we don't. I did for a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we're going to hear a little biography information of these people. So Marjorie Deal Armstrong had a history of suffering from multiple mental illnesses, including bipolar disorder, since her early teens and seems 
to have been a serial killer. <laughs> it seems. <laughs> I don't remember this part. It's, no, no, no. It was this. We had noticed this when going through stuff before. It just everyone she dated just died. Oh, died. correct. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna learn about that too. Wow, I remember yeah. that. Just now. everyone she dated died, except this for Rothstein. He's the only one who made it. And. We, I mean, somehow he still put up with her, but they kind of hated each other, but also... Yeah, they're definitely not dating at this yeah. point. Yeah. They were high school sweethearts. I think she, I think he was the first person she ever dated. Yeah, let's find out when we read there. Yeah. It's going to give us a nice right. little play-by-play. Yep. Um, before her mental health deteriorated in her 20s, Marjorie was an exemplary student in high school and earned a master's degree... In 1984, she shot her boyfriend, Robert Thomas, six times as he lay on the couch, but was acquitted on her claims of self-defense. The way this article is written, it's just so all over the place. Because she was an exemplary student, (laughs) got a master's degree, in 1984 she shot her boyfriend. There's no transition statement. Which I I personally admire so much. I I love, they just get to the point. They really tell you what's important. Yeah. Um, her husband and several other partners also died under suspicious circumstances. Deal Armstrong died from breast cancer in prison in 2017 at the age of 68. So she's dead now, which is why they could make the docu-series. Yes. Mm-hmm. They probably could have while she was still in there, but that's um, a lot more complicated. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that works. Our next character in this crazy story is Kenneth Barnes. He was a retired television repairman crack dealer, and Marjorie's fishing buddy. <laughs> They're more than fishing buddies. <laughs> he suffered from diabetes and died in prison in 2019. Also assassin for hire. <laughs> yeah. Bill Rothstein, he dated Marjorie in, late, in the late 1960s and early 1970s. He was implicated in a 1977 murder after he gave a handgun to a friend who used it to murder a romantic rival. He later attempted to destroy the weapon, but was granted immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony. Rothstein was six foot two and regularly wore overalls. I love that important information. <laughs> he was a handyman and part-time shop teacher. He also was part of a group called the, in quote, fractured intellectuals, end quote, intelligent people who were not well adjusted. For the record, this... and. I love that entire paragraph of Bill because it starts out like an obituary. You begin with, he was born to this person and this person. He did this thing, worked at the Rolla Bottling Company. He dated this person. It was a love story. Then he was implicated in a murder because he lent a handgun to someone who was a romantic rival. Also, he wore overalls regularly. <laughs> it just kind of digresses throughout the entire thing. And then it comes back to, he spoke French and Hebrew fluently. Yeah. we he... While while also wearing overalls, because naturally those two things go together. And then we get that he died at the age of 60. Yeah. In 2004. There so he didn't last much longer after the whole Brian Wells situation went down. Nope. All right. Our next character, Floyd Arthur... Stockton, or Jay Stockton, lived as a fugitive at Bill's house and as a convicted rapist, he was granted immunity for his testimony against Marjorie, but was never called to testify in court due to illness. Likely story. He's a stand-up guy. <laughs> oh, awful. Oh, Absolutely terrible. <laughs> okay, this is where it gets important because this is where we learn more about Brian. This is titled Conspirator's Connection to Wells. 
Immediately after his death, investigators searched Wells' house and found a list of people who he knew, including two prostitutes unknown to other family members. One of the prostitutes he frequented was Jessica Hoopstick. Oh, Jessica Hoopstick. Key person. She is important. Remember that name. Jessica Hoopstick knew Kenneth Barnes, who dealt crack and whose house was used by prostitutes. Also, if this article doesn't mention what Jessica said about him, I want to. Oh, absolutely, you can. (laughs) All right, Wells as conspirator. According to law enforcement reports, Wells participated in the planning of the bank robbery the day before and was aware of the complex plot, although he believed the bomb would be fake and that he would serve as an alibi if he was caught. According to the FBI, two witnesses confirmed that Wells talked about the robbery about a month before it occurred. Wells was seen leaving Bill's house the day before the incident, and investigators believe he participated in a rehearsal. It was believed that Wells was killed to reduce the number of witnesses. Family and friends of Wells dispute his involvement in the bank robbery and his own death. According to them, Wells was accosted at gunpoint and forced to wear the bomb. Will we ever find out? Now it's even more interesting. And this is the point where we were like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this. Because previously we thought Brian was like, first we thought Brian was the one who planned this all when we just heard Brian bank robbery because he was trying to rob a bank when this all happened. But then we were like, oh no, there are these other people that forced him to do it. They put a, like a collar on him, a bomb collar to force him to rob the bank. And then it's at this point where they're like, oh, he was a part of the plan but he thought it was going to be a fake bomb so that it would convince the bank people to give him the money. But then now they're like, oh, but maybe he's not involved. But it's <laughs> what's the other aspect of the entire <clears throat> this entire story that got our attention that we haven't hit on yet? There's still a scavenger hunt that yeah. oh, has yeah, yet to be addressed. <laughs> and it will be addressed. Through the article. And it will be. So why don't we head on there? This section is titled, The Crime. This is the good stuff. All right, so let's start talk about the collarbone, the collar bomb first. <laughs> the collarbone. The bomb <laughs> used in the killing consisted of a hinged collar that worked like a large handcuff to go around the neck, four keyholes that went under the chin, and a rectangular section that contained two pipe bombs and two kitchen timers. One electric timer hung down over the chest. The device had several decoys, such as unconnected wires, a toy cell phone, and stickers bearing deceptive warnings. What an invention. (laughs) Looking at the picture, it literally does look like just one half of a giant handcuff. And somehow they used a toy phone. So that's Yeah, not not a real phone. Just a toy one. It was a decoy. Oh, it was a decoy. You're right. This, This was built... We'll find out who this is built by later. And it's it's a very, like, smart... They had a lot of decoys in here. She had a master's degree. She did. She, she didn't she build it. She was crazy. She did not. We're going to find out. <laughs> All right. Pizza delivery. There we go. <laughs> next section. That's the part I'm excited for. Brian Wells had worked as a pizza delivery driver at Mamma Mia's Pizzeria in Erie, Pennsylvania for 10 Mama years Mia. before his death. Just after 1.30 p.m. on August 28, 2003, the pizzeria received a call from a payphone at a nearby gas station. The owner could not understand the customer and passed the phone to Wells, who received a call to deliver two pizzas to 8631 Peach Street, an address a few miles from the pizzeria. The address was the location of the transmitting tower of WSEE-TV at the end of a dirt road. Sketchy. I think that's sketchy. A yeah. telephone 
like tower uh, on a dirt road. Just Interesting. deliver a pizza there. Just, yeah. Everybody needs pizza, okay? Don't, I, don't I guess. I guess. Well, we'll see. According to law enforcement, upon arriving at the television tower, Wells found the plot had changed and learned the bomb was real. Uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> I think in that moment, that's all I could say is, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd be saying a lot more than uh-oh. <laughs> Probably <laughs> loud, personal noises. Yeah. Screaming. <laughs> Trying to escape. <laughs> Um, Wells' family disputes this account of the events at the television tower. According to them, Wells was accosted at gunpoint by strangers and forced to participate. The details of events at the tower that led to the bomb being attacked, attached to Wells' neck have never been firmly established, but evidence suggests that there was a struggle and that Barnes, um, Deal Armstrong, so Kenneth, Marjorie, and Bill Rothstein... And Jay Stockton were all present at the time. Wow, everybody merges. Yeah. This is crazy. In, in interviews by law enforcement, Stockton claimed to be the one that put the bomb around Wells' neck. When Wells discovered that the bomb was real, Barnes, Kenneth Barnes, said a pistol was fired in order to force Wells' compliance, and witnesses confirmed hearing a gunshot. After the bomb was applied, Wells was given a sophisticated homemade shotgun, which had the appearance of an unusually shaped cane. Emphasis on unusually. We'll describe this in a minute, but I wouldn't use the word sophisticated to it, describe this. No. It was, yeah. <laughs> um, Wells was instructed to claim that three black men had forced the bomb on him and were holding him as a hostage. So, just to explain this gun real quick, because I do feel like this matters just to add to the com comedy yeah, aspect of really this whole does. case. Um, this this gun is the size of a real cane, so from your feet to your hip, and there is very clearly a trigger, and um, yeah, definitely like two feet long. Literally looks like a gun. I don't I I don't know how better to describe this than it literally looks like a gun. As the hand, like the handle of the cane, is a gun and is so clearly a gun because there's a trigger on it. Really, if you want a picture of this in your mind, imagine a pistol and just extend the barrel of the gun a couple feet. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> what and it was. And then maybe like make the magazine kind of curved a yeah. little bit. Just like a just a, a hair. Yeah. So there's our gun that was supposed to be looking like a cane. Are you guys ready for. The scavenger hunt. I don't know. Do we want to get there now? We do. We do? We do. Okay. All right. The scavenger hunt. Wells' My favorite corpse part. was oh, yeah. found with nine pages of lengthy handwritten instructions addressed to bomb hostage telling him to rob the bank. The instructions also included a scavenger hunt listing a series of strictly timed tasks of collecting keys that would delay detonation and eventually defuse the bomb. It also warned that Wells would be under constant surveillance and any attempts to contact authorities would result in the bomb's detonation. All caps and in quotes, it says, Act now, think later, or you will die, was scrawled at the bottom of the instructions. The robbery. Wells was instructed to quietly enter the PNC Bank at Summit Town Center on Peach Street and give the teller an affixed note demanding $250,000. Before I continue, I just want to point out that earlier we were going to pay Bill Rothstein $200,000 $200, yep. to kill Marjorie's dad. 
Um, <coughs> and we're only getting $250,000. I personally would have tried to make a little more profit. Well, this was only supposed to fund just just the that because then because then her dad's death would she would get the inheritance. The inheritance now money, is supposed to be her. Which money. we'll find out how much that was later. Yes. But <laughs> I think yes, it's I think it's ironic that they robbed PNC Bank because I think PNC stands for Pizza and Corpses. <laughs> and <laughs> wow, I just there we go. think it's kind that's of perfect. Thought. Interesting. I like that. Um so he was he had to demand two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and use his shotgun to threaten anyone who did not cooperate or attempted to flee. Upon entering the bank around two thirty PM, Wells slid the note to the teller. The note stated that the bomb would explode in fifteen minutes and that the full amount must be handed over within that time. The teller was unable to access the vault that quickly and gave Wells a bag containing eight thousand seven hundred and two dollars, with which he exited the bank. Failure. So Absolute failure. If if you didn't catch with the scavenger hunt, okay, the scavenger hunt had very explicit directions, and it had told him that he was to get $250,000 for the bank. Not only did he not do that, that was really the only purpose of the entire scavenger hunt. Mm-hmm. Everything else was just a front to make people not realize that that was the only reason this whole thing was set up, and... He literally, that, that one thing. And he was like, yeah, that's good enough. I'm going to leave with $8,000. In his defense, the note said, act now, think later, or you will die. <laughs> and there was not much thinking that went on. That's it's true. true. So it's he true, followed you know? the note's instructions that's explicitly. That's true. <laughs> At 2.38, which is eight minutes later after he got after he asked for the money, a witness called Seven 911 from the bomb. bank and reported a male leaving the bank with a bomb or something strapped around his neck. That's a quote, a bomb or something strapped around his neck. This was the first known emergency call for the incident. According to witnesses at the bank and surveillance footage, after entering the bank, Wells waited in line. When he reached the counter, he began sucking a lollipop. He appeared confident as he left the bank, swinging his cane gun in the bag of money like Charlie Chaplin, according to one of the witnesses. Interesting that he was so calm. Yeah, because <laughs> supposedly he just found out that this is a real bomb strapped around his neck. Which allegedly. makes us wonder, was he involved? I don't know. Was don't he know. involved? Uh-huh. Did he know. know? Was he just crazy? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. This is crazy. Okay. The arrest and his death. Around 15 minutes after Wells left the bank, he had completed the first task of the scavenger hunt. What a fun day. Yeah. Little scavenger hunt. First task done. Accomplished. Yay, good for him. He was proceeding with the second task when police saw him standing outside his automobile and promptly arrested him, handcuffed him, and let him left him sitting on the ground in the parking lot. Wells said three unnamed people had placed a bomb around his neck, provided him with a shotgun, and told him that they would kill him unless he committed the robbery and completed several other tax- tasks. Follow, followed directions. He did. The responding police officers did not attempt to disarm the device. Instead, focusing on clearing the immediate area of pedestrians and ensuring Wells could not detonate the device. The bomb squad was first called at 3.04 p.m. So this is about an hour and a half later. Yep. Or a half an hour later. 3.04 p.m. At least 30 minutes after the 911 call. Wow. That Wikipedia. 2.38 to 3.04. Yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. At 3.18, three minutes Before the bomb squad arrived, the bomb detonated and blasted a fist-sized hole in Wells' chest. This is my favorite part. Killing him in minutes. (laughs) Not seconds. Minutes. Minutes. (laughs) 
the poor man Oof. had a fist-sized hole in his chest for minutes and did not die. Um, also, uh, in the documentary, uh, they show that part, yes, the beginning of it. Yeah. Also, oh. remind me, was it before this point or after this point that they stripped him down to his underwear? Yeah, that was. I think that was after. Yeah. Okay. It was after. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He was in his underwear during the show. Unfortunately. Yes, after <laughs> a bomb just exploded yes. his neck and chest. So the reason that the bomb squad was delayed was because of traffic in the area, which is really unfortunate. Yes. Because he might not have died. But understandable, considering people were probably all frantically trying to get out of that area. Right, for and sure. ATF said it was, uh, quote, considered their response time appropriately quick. Yeah. All right, so... So we're good gonna... job, bomb squad. Brian Wells has just died, and we have a lot of questions about this whole Bill Rothstein, Marjorie Thiel Armstrong, all these people, and we're going to find out why exactly they matter and what happened after Brian Wells' death, because that's where it gets... Wait, do we have to wait? Very interesting. Until next week. Ooh. We have to wait? We do, but if you haven't already listened to part one, make sure you do that. Um... Otherwise, so, you're going to be really, really Yeah, confused. you're going to be really confused. It's confusing regardless. So, it, you know, is. it is. But we're going to clear it up I'm yeah. next talking week. about it, and I'm confused now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. So join us for our final episode of this Brian Wells Wikipedia article next time.